0: That's where I got my first open mic in a, in a small pub in like a corner of a small pub. There was no stage, just some light and a mic and they're like, "Yeah five minutes. defeating those obstacles gives me that momentum to j- just keep going, to keep to keep playing with the audience. You have to have you have to play with that. nobody wants to accept their demons, but they're there. so uh, you have to befriend them in the end because they're a part of you. I signed up yeah. so I can be lazy and not work every day. <laughs> so now it's becoming a bit like you have to implement the job part of it. You're able to to sacrifice a little bit of your comfort to pursue something bigger. Do it. It's, it's always good to, to do what is right, not what is easy. So always do what is right.
1: guys, and welcome back to the I Love Success podcast. I hope you've been with me before, Uh, and if you're not, let me give you a short introduction. My name is Peter Jumrukovsky. I study success. Uh, I dig deep in people's stories, the good and the bad, to give you ideas on how to make the best of your life. Uh, Today, I'm actually super excited because I have a fellow Macedonian brother here. And a big dreamer. Uh, his name is Vlad Illich. He moved to London about three years ago now to pursue his dream of becoming a stand-up comedian. And uh, it's going forward. Uh, he's on his way to, you know, become a great comedian. Which uh, you know we all need more comedy in the world right now. And and one thing that I think is super cool is the first two years you were in London, you did something like 160 open mics, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah.
1: Wow. That's almost, is at least one, one a week. And that shows commitment and, you know, going up uh, in a, in a new city, new language and just being out there. And I think I'm a martial artist, but honestly, I think going up on stage and do up comedy is probably one of the hardest things that you can do because it takes a lot of courage and, uh, I think especially when you're new, because you don't know how people are gonna react to what you say. Obviously you have been moving forward and you were recently featured on BBC and that's how I got connected. Shout out to Alex Crowley, who (laughs) sent me this video one morning. I was like, shit, this is a funny guy. We gotta have them on the show. And um, just kind of share your story. So welcome Vlad Illich to the I Love Success podcast.
0: Thank you very much, Peter. That was that was a lovely introduction. I, I mean, I haven't heard any better introduction than that. Honestly, I think only my mom can introduce me better than that. So that, 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 that was pretty close. Um, yeah. yeah, the mom's introductions
1: are the best. You know, they are always like even even if you're a a gangster or in prison, like, yeah, my son, he's doing so well, you know, he's he's studying every day and he's taking yeah,
0: he's, he's been through community college and he's doing everything <laughs> he can. Yeah. No, that's true, yeah, yeah, pick it up. Um, and I, I'm really happy you reached out to me, uh, obviously. There's, 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 a, there's a huge Macedonian diaspora all around the world. Yeah. I think there's more Macedonians around the world right now than there is back home. Um, Probably. Yeah. Right. So, so, and like you said, you know, moving to a big city like London was definitely a challenge in the beginning, but I'll, I'll tell you what, like during all those shows in the beginning, it definitely felt easier in the beginning because you had, I had nothing to lose in a way. So the, there's no pressure. Nobody knows you and you are just trying to be funny. They announce you as this is, this guy is his first gig and he comes from, yeah. you know, um, the Balkans. And they're like, Oh yeah, I've been to Lithuania. You know, they have no <laughs> logic whatsoever in there. So I, I would say it's, it's, it's a bit more difficult now, kind of, kind of trying to keep up with this new image of uh, yeah. being on, on BBC and whatnot, but definitely enjoying the ride so far, man. Thank you for having me. Awesome. So I want to go back to, you know, your early life.
1: Do you remember, when you were a kid or when when did you ever start dreaming about being a comedian?
0: Right, so I, I, I remember the first thing I watched was a YouTube clip of uh, Eddie Murphy. I think I was like 13, maybe, maybe 14. And uh, we had just discovered the internet. So that was a thing, just set up. It was, uh, it was a dial up. Remember the old connection when it was like a through yeah. the phone? <laughs> It took ages. We waited for two and a half hours for this seven minute video to load of Eddie Murphy. I think it was Delirious or Raw. The one where yeah. he's in the orange suit. I don't remember which one it was. But that was like my first contact with stand-up comedy. And I saw it, and then obviously I saw his films. And I was all, wow, this is this is something I'd love to, you know, I'd love to get up on stage and talk about my life and you know, he talks about his family and Fourth of July and all of that. So I immediately had a connection with stand-up comedians who are like into storytelling, sort of. So uh, Jim Jeffries as well and Dave Allen here, who's like a veteran British comedian. So I would say that was the first step towards it. But I didn't really take it seriously by then. I was still doing acting most of the time, like like an amateur actor, not like a not like a big not like a DiCaprio type of acting. It was more like (laughs) very low-key, very like play the tree or the goat. I was was one of those two things. Um, And then I moved to Malta. So it was a bit of a nomadic story for me. And that's where I got my first open mic, um, open mic gig in in a small pub, in like a corner of a small pub. There was no stage, just some light and a mic. And they're like, yeah, five minutes. In Malta, that meant twenty minutes, um, and that was my first show, and I fucking loved it. And I said, "This is this is what I can do." This. So it all came from this mindset, really. It all came from a mindset of, uh, "I want to be a stand-up comedian first. Hmm. Okay, and
1: I, I'm I'm curious because how going back to that first gig, it it sounds like you're a pretty confident guy, uh, and I think they've they said people, most people would rather die than speak in public. Uh, so how did you, like when you go up on stage or the, that first time, how was your, what were you thinking?
0: Well, the thing is, I always kind of felt that I can, use, I was really shy as a child. I mean, every child is shy, I suppose. But I felt that that's like, like I need to get out of my comfort zone. So th- this is the thing. It was an attitude that I had that if if like I had fear of something, then I had to go like and face it straight away. Like when I was younger, I used to have fear of bugs. So I used to go and touch bugs so I can get like accustomed to the insects or if, you know, jumping off of whatever, 10 feet cliff into the sea. If I'm scared of that, I'll go do it on purpose just to kind of... So when I discovered that after a few times on stage that, I, that I'm actually really shy, I wanted to do it more so I can break away from that fear. And so it was like a game at the beginning, which later kind of turned into this whole love for the stage. And I, I love the challenge of it because it happens every time. Every time before I go on stage, even though now it seems that though I look natural on stage, I shit myself every time. Before I go up there, so um, kind of uh, defeating those obstacles gives me that momentum to j- just keep going, to keep to keep playing with the audience. Yeah,
1: I like that. And I mean, I competed for more than ten years in karate, and I had the same thing before every competition. It was like, yeah, felt like I'm gonna shit my pants, and I think that's a good thing because it means that you care about what you do. Exactly. Uh, I, you, you probably noticed from your first gig and the 160th or 200th or whatever gig you're on right now, that the feeling changes. Now you're more, in the beginning, I was just afraid that I'm going to get my ass kicked. But the further it went, I, was, I had more fear of not performing at my best level. Uh,
0: ha- have you seen that change as well? That's, that's quite a good observation, actually, Peter. Uh, because, yeah, the, the first, I would say, maybe even 50 shows was all about sort of conquering the fear of the stage and just being there and saying jokes. But then it became more about, OK, I'm familiar with the stage now. Let's play with the audience now. Let's Let's see if I can improvise a bit more. Let's push this joke a bit further. And it's all about you know defeating that sort of self-doubt in your head that oh this isn't funny or people are not gonna like me. And you kinda have to you kinda have to build up this confidence through your material. So you kinda have to say, all right, this is this has proven to be funny, just like the same way that in martial arts, you know, a certain technique, I suppose so you know it and you've got to use it and you've got to keep believing in it and then once you master it you can then sort of improvise and do all the big things that all the you see all the big comics do where they just go on a on a riff for like half an hour and they still remain funny and you're sitting there watching it and you're like oh yeah yeah I can do that and then you go out there tomorrow and you bomb <laughs> <laughs> like, <Yeah>. like, <laughs> and you go back and you study, and, and that's all about. You have to fail. Just you have to keep failing. That's kind of the lesson of it. Yeah.
1: And what was the biggest failure in of all your shows? What has been the biggest failure, and how? Did, what did you learn from that?
0: Well, the biggest failure was it was I had just arrived in London, and there's this uh, show called the King Gong Show at the Comedy Store where uh, they give three red cards to three different members of the audience and you have to survive on the stage for five minutes. And if they don't find you funny, they can just boo you off the stage. Oh, yeah, and the MC taunts the audience. So he goes up on stage and when he announces you, like he went, hey, please welcome Vlad Illich. Come on, Vlad, don't be shit. So that's, <laughs> that's your introduction. And then I went on, and I started doing this really long-winded joke about Prince Harry and the royals. And they were just not having it at all. And I I thought that, like, there was some noise from the sound speakers. But no, it was actually the crowd booing. And then somebody called me a cunt. And uh, I just left the stage because they red-carded me. So... <laughs> I mean, that was the most amazing experience for me because the next six months, it was like, right, you know, like a a scene in a Rocky film. Lose the fight, now I'm going to retaliate and I'm going to stay disciplined. I sat back, did like six months of new, new material, new writing, working on my jokes. And I came back and I won it. And I needed that kick in the butt. It's really important to fail. It's really important to... It will transform you. You will push past. Because if you're comfortable, like everyone is in 21st century, you, you're you going to go with the easiest way because that's normal. But you need to get to that. You need to access the deeper level. You need to see how important this is for you. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I do. I mean, I saw it. For many years in in karate, going to the nat- national team, you know, you start getting your ass kicked. you go into national competitions, you start seeing your ass kicked, and then you come back. and some fighters, they did just like you did. they they train harder. i I'm the same way. My biggest failures has actually been, Biggest blessings and just in disguise because I go back to the drawing board and I am fucking pissed off, <laughs> and exactly. then I'm dangerous. Balkan people are very dangerous when we're pissed <laughs> off. Uh, but I mean, why do you think you were actually continuing? A lot of people, when they have that experience, they just you know shy away and say, like, no, I'm not good enough to do this, and I I I can't do this.
0: Yeah, well that well partly is is that same thing that you got which is that Balkan mentality of come on I'm not gonna I'm not gonna die on the battlefield you know I'm gonna come back and yeah. prove myself that I'm worth it and definitely a big part of that is that um, you feel like the underdog you know I came into a different culture with a different language where some people even look down on you know where you're from and everything, and that like just gives me extra fuel for the fire, you know it's like well you know i'm gonna I'm gonna prove you wrong that's what but the most important thing is right from that first gig when I told myself I'm a stand-up comedian, I actually genuinely believed that I can be this person who I've envisioned to be. And that's, that mentality has literally brought me, like, through all of it, through all the failures, through all the sacrifices, was just this genuine love for the work. And because you will take hits and you will become, you know, I was disappointed after that show, obviously. There was a good yeah. two weeks where I was like, mm, maybe I should get a career in car washing. You know, <laughs> just, Yeah. <laughs> do something. Do something on the side. So yeah. it's it's the mentality. If you have to toughen it out, and you have to kind of calculate how much this is worth for you. Are you gonna chase it till the end, or is it just a thing? It's a it's a matter of character, really. And yeah. and uh, coming from a background, being Macedonian and sort of growing up in this, you know. Not not a lot of opportunities out there, job wise, economy-wise. Yeah. So kind of having to, you know, if you want something, you have to really want it. That mentality really helped me in, in getting where I
1: am. No, I love that. And I mean the truth is, and one thing that I, I really relate to when you said that I am a stand-up comedian. I think when you say that that you are something and really mean it, I got goosebumps when you said it because I've written four books. And I remember after writing my first book, I couldn't say that I was an author or a writer. I, I don't know why I couldn't say it because I, in my mind, I thought I was fake. So I had to write a second book, say, I am an author. And then once I said that, everything changes because now this is, this is something that you embody. And how long did it take for you to actually say, I'm a stand-up comedian?
0: Well this is the thing I it happened to me before we moved I moved to London so I was still in Malta at the time and I had done maybe I was just I'd done maybe 5 or 6 gigs into it when I yeah. when I felt like it is my calling in a way yeah. I just I just felt like oh I can I can really turn this around I have the creative force in me and the energy and the will to say things. I want to say things. It means to me a lot. It matters to me a lot to say it, and I believe I can do it. And and so it it came very early, even before the closest people around me believed in. You know, even my my fiance the, who was with me at the time. So we're talking maybe, uh, you know, more than three, four years ago. Even she was like. I I can't see it yet, you know, but I was the I could I trusted myself and that was really important. Even when there was no one around who was still kind of okay, this is very early, let's see if he's going to keep going. Once you prove yourself that, then it's only a matter of time, like it will definitely pay off no matter how long down the line, as long as you keep believing, honestly, but it has to be genuine, you know what I mean? It can be that you wake up tomorrow and think, you know, I want to be the president of the United States. I mean, you can if you're Donald Trump, but that's a different story. <laughs> so, you know, um it has to you have to really assess it wholeheartedly with, with your whole spirit. Yeah. Yeah, I mean
1: I totally agree with you. And and I think you have to see it before, you don't have to see it before anyone else, but there has to be some type of drive. And a lot of people are waiting. If you're listening to this, watching this, and you're waiting for someone else to fucking grab your hand and say, hey, do this, that's awesome. But that person might just be you. You might have to trust yourself. If you want to do it, go out and do it. And you'll find people along the way that want to
0: help you, right? Well, that's, yeah, that, that's another thing is that once you build that, level of trust with yourself, uh, people will start to align around you because they they can feel that you're moving somewhere and that you, you're you genuinely working towards something. So people feel inspired by that. And uh, in a sense, they become your friends and you, your friends become your allies and they give you good advice. And it's always good to take advice and to assess even negative advice. You know what I mean? Like a lot of people... Say, oh, you know, there's lots of haters, but I love haters. I love haters because they give me the other side of the coin. And thank you because they they point to my weaknesses and I can work on them instead of wasting time on finding them out myself. Obviously, if they're within rational bounds, if someone just hates me because I have a big nose, that's, you know... So, so you, you work with everything, absorb everything and work with the circumstances where you are. You know what I mean? Like when I arrived in Malta, I didn't kind of complain and say, oh, well, I'm not in LA or I'm not in London. So I'm never going to make it as a comedian or I can never be a good comic. No, I worked the whatever that was left there. You know, there was a small scene there. I worked those clubs there. And then once I came to a point where I think okay I need bigger wings let's let's move to London and and try that scene out but work with what you have where you are and that's that's always a good starting point I love that and and did you
1: specifically choose London just because of the comedy scene or why did you end up in London
0: yeah well the comedy scene also because it was easier with like the documents and everything Uh, uh, my girlfriend she had studied in LA so we kind of spoke about life in LA and then the scene there and and it was going to be quite complicated with the visas and the money that you have to pay and London's in the EU at the time so it was literally just come in and stay and not need a work visa or anything so said London but it turns out it's it's a quite quite a big scene it's it's even bigger uh, from LA I think it's it's one People of the want
1: to laugh in London too right <laughs> People want to laugh in London yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: People want to laugh in London too. They want to. They, that's awesome. Most of the time they clap, but sometimes, they
1: <laughs> sometimes they laugh. I think they are very similar to I think Swedish people. A little bit reserved, maybe until they get some drinks.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. O- outside of London, they're a bit more relaxed, but London crowds can sometimes can be tough. Um, uh, that's why you get the Prosecco happy hour like an hour before the show and then they're fine. They're fine. That's awesome.
1: So uh, can you just talk about like what what type of jobs did you have to do to to survive when moving to London? Because I think people see you on BBC right now, they see someone that is winning world titles or doing all that amazing things, but they don't see what you have to actually do to, in order to get there. So let's talk about that for a while. Yeah.
0: Well, I was I was uh, holding a part-time job for around eight years actually, since as a, as a waiter because it was uh you know it was one of those jobs to keep the bills, but one you can easily let go of if if your career if yeah. you get a break. And so I was working at this pizza place for for three years, and the the very beginning was really difficult. I was working at this place where the I had the the Sunday shifts were about. So I would do double shift, which is 12 hours. And then, because they didn't want to pay for the cleaners, uh, we used to stay extra and do deep clean. So we would have like a 14, 15-hour shift with like a one-hour break uh, in the meantime. And then, you know, the next day, I have to go in and travel, you know, 20, 30 miles to a comedy show to do five minutes. So... It's not ideal what I'm going to say. It's not ideal, but it's you know, when it, it's a trade worth going for, it, all you need is energy and time, really. In the beginning, that's your money, is not going to come, especially not in comedy. Um, so those are the big sacrifices I had to make. Once I remember, I was working a late shift and the mop broke, and so they gave me a little sponge. And they said, can you just wipe the stairs? There was like 50 stairs. With your hands, they didn't even have gloves. And I'm doing that. And I'm thinking, you know, fuck it. one day, these motherfuckers, I'm going to come back and burn this place down legitimately. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you have to kind of, you know, push through that and not let it get to you. Uh, because, you know, any big city, and I believe Los Angeles is the same, any big city can break you, um, whether that's the people. Uh, you, perspective. It, I guess I'm, what I'm getting to is perspective. Always, you know, it's it's hard to have hope, but all, you always need to have hope. It, you can't see the, just think of the day as a blur, as something that's only like a thing that will get you to a goal. Because if you take the moment seriously, some some moments can really, really put you down. So keep your eyes on the prize so we'll
1: yeah. and I mean I think um, that's what makes a cool story as well right if you if it's easy then anybody can do it and uh, what was during these times of struggle and uh, what was the people back home telling you were you ever considering going back or like what was your your mindset
0: yeah. Well, yeah, I, I, there was a, there was a few times where I was like, "That's it, I'm packing my bags, I'm going." Uh, but obviously, uh, my you know my parents, my friends were all really supportive. Uh, uh, my mom's comments were always hilarious. Like, "What kid? What are you going to do back in Macedonia? There is nothing. There is nothing. You have to stay there." <laughs> Just this you know, typical Balkan woman is like, and uh, also. <laughs> You know, no pressure. She's like, "I'm you. Can you send us some hundred pounds?" Yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> That's at the end of the pep talk. Um, but yeah. no, generally, you know, they were very kind of proud with me that I took that step, and it, it was kind of, I was humbled by them because you know they were telling me, "Listen, you did a lot already. Even if nothing happens, at least you're one of the." few people who said you know what I'm going to sacrifice everything and give it a shot and that's more than enough and you know I always had that option in mind when I arrived in London there was always a plan b listen I'm going to give this two years and if it doesn't work out it's fine that it was just I didn't love it you know enough for it just not good enough and I'll have to just deal with that you know You have to have, you have to play with that. Nobody wants to accept their demons, but they're there. So you have to befriend them in the end because they're a part of you. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, it sounds like you have um, a great mindset and, and I I understood that you're a type of a book nerd. Did you learn this from books or like, how did you uh, get into this type of, you know, you have an athlete's mindset in a way I feel.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, I I am a huge uh, book lover. I really love, like, I really love Russian classics as well. Like, uh, I really love Dostoevsky and Chekhov, and uh, there is something, there's something really inspiring, especially I think in in writers on the cusp of, on the end of the nineteenth, towards the beginning of the twentieth century, because especially the Russians, because that's when these writers started building like Russian culture, modern Russian culture from scratch. And it's fascinating with, with, the, with the amount of tools that they had compared to today, they had nothing. And, and the amount of things they needed to, to go through to get to knowledge and to get something published and write it. It's so inspiring that it's almost like, in a sense, I feel that they, they are immortal. And and they understood the fragility of life and they understood the very essentials that how important it is for your voice to be heard. And they they understood the essence of, of human communication. And I I always come back to that. Um, And I feel that that's a very flexible term. You know, you, when you, when you talk, you don't always want to be heard because you don't want to be annoying. You only need to talk when you have something to say. And so for for me, that was my comedy journey. I have something to say. And the moment that voice or feeling stops within me, I will stop performing comedy. And, and I'm okay with that because I feel that that's like a gift from life. And I'm going to use it for as long as it's there.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. And I mean, that that voice and having something to say, uh, I think it's it's incredible. And and being a stand up comedian, I I I love stand up comedians because you have to be so honest and talk about your deepest fucking shit, <laughs> and yeah. and and make basically make fun of yourselves. And we all realize that we're, you know, we're not that cool, you know, because. I feel like most of us, we're walking around on this planet looking like we have have all our shit together, but in reality, nobody does. And, and that's why I think it's so refreshing, especially when, when stand-up comedians are have the courage to be totally transparent and honest. How has that journey been for you? Uh, do you fear opening up of who you really are and your biggest demons?
0: Uh-huh. Well, you nailed it. This is a really good question. I think every comedian struggles with um, what level of transparency are they willing to show to the audience. Obviously, as any performer, you want to, you have to let the audience in. That's where once they have to believe your authenticity, and that's where humor comes in. You know, like in the words of of Richard Pryor, he said, you know, tell the truth, and the funny will come out so there is some level of vulnerability that you're willing to show to the to the crowd now what i don't think you can choose how honest you can be but you can choose which things to be honest about you know what i mean so if something really shitty happened to you in your childhood maybe don't share that with us maybe it's not that funny it's more like sad or it's more like a but you know, but yeah. that time when you know you were in high school and somebody put your pants down and now you've got a weird nickname because of that, yeah please, please let let, let us hear it. If we can laugh at your expense, why not? I, I think generally this is how comedians treat the audience. When you go as an audience member, uh, the comedian is just like a mirror to yourself. Right. So everything the comedian says, you laugh because you find it relatable. So basically, you laugh at the things that are the same that he says for you. So what, what how the more honest the comedian is, the more you can look into yourself. And so I think it's it's hugely important. It's the most important thing to be transparent as a comedian. Every big, successful comedian has that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I read, um, Kevin Hart's book. I don't know if you read Kevin Hart's book, but it was uh, very interesting how he, he got the, the same advice to be funny. You have to be like really be able to talk about, you know, that the things that are the hardest sometimes and that, but they're, they're like really funny in a way. And, uh, I'm curious, when you when you got to London, who, who did you reach out to to get help to, to, to get more material? Is this a one-man journey or is there a society of people that has been working with you to, to get better?
0: Well, uh, the, there is a few people I, I uh, used to do like writing sessions with, so you know four or five comics. There is this like sort of uh, camaraderie. So like people who would get together write together and help each other out. Um, but most of the time it, it's uh, it's quite a sort of like solo journey. you know you go to a gig if if you know somebody to that gig you can go together uh, but otherwise you're on your own. And then a lot of times I write material when I sit with my friends and just banter and then they'll you know because for comedy is dialogue definitely. When you write alone, you can write, but it, it feels a bit sort of like you're isolated. But when you're with your friends and you're bantering, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's that's a good premise. Oh, that's an interesting idea. Oh, I'm going to write that down. So um, career-wise, you're on your own. But yes, please, if you do comedy, use all your friends and your family and, and test jokes on them without telling them.
1: And I'm I'm curious that how long have, do you think things have changed because of the internet? That you know, because you you to create like a five minute set. I don't know how long that takes, but it probably takes a pretty long time. And, and then it's on the internet, and then everybody has seen it. Like how how has that changed? You think in the last years that you have to just create more and more new material in order to stay relevant.
0: Absolutely. And I would say, like, for example, after the BBC show, now that it's out there online and on TV, uh, I'm not doing that material again because there might be people in the crowd who've seen that. And and generally, I'm kind of tired of of doing that. So I'm just moving into new stuff. What gets better is at the beginning when you write, you don't have a sense of what's funny So you go and you have to test the stuff at a gig. But after a while you develop this like gut feeling of what's funny and what isn't and what's your style. So right now I can actually write more without testing stuff. And then I'll just write like, I'll write like a new three or six minute bit. And then I'll just go and test it to the audience. And I'll pretty much know what to change and where. But the beginning, like the first five minutes, it took me about six months when I arrived in London to like really polish them. Um, every comedian has a different technique. Sometimes people write like 10 in 10 minutes. So 10 minutes, then new 10, the new 10. You can either write, uh, I like Louis C.K. technique where he takes the ending of his material and he uses it as the beginning of a new material. And he goes from there. That's
1: square and how how do you work I, I feel like it's almost like if you're an artist and you get like that one hit song now now all of a sudden you have to you know perform something that's better and that is different as well like how are you in that uh, position right now are you kind of working on you know something better and, and new or where are you in your mind space?
0: well you know i I wouldn't like to think that it was a one hit thing. Although, yeah, probably I'll disappear in six months. So might as well.
1: <laughs> no, let's hope not. <laughs> yeah, might as
0: well use this fame now. <laughs> fame. Somebody in Veles knows me. Fame. <laughs> um, I mean, the thing, this is the thing. The video went viral uh, back home. I think now it's at around 700,000 views or something like that. Um, but, you know, the people that have been messaging me recently, definitely they want to see more of that the same style i i, I wouldn't yeah. say that these are the best jokes and i'm not going to come up with more i'd actually feel like i can do better now i can i can yeah. i feel like i'm still at that stage where i haven't completely let the audience in into who i am as a comedian so i want to work on that transparency and and go deeper into the material now yeah yeah i mean i can add it one thing that
1: happened to me when I was 18, I became a national champion in karate and that was awesome. But the honest truth was that on the car driving home from that fucking competition, I was like, shit, I'm a fraud. I can never do this again. (laughs) And and that was was my mindset. Can you imagine how stupid? Because I, I don't know, I was just fear. I had so much fear in myself. I was young and young athlete but so that following year i worked so hard because i wanted to defend my title yeah, Of course, and i did defend my title but you know what the worst thing was instead of like yes it was more like
0: whew. right yeah
1: so i just want to i don't know if you, you you probably you have a better mindset than me but you know just enjoy enjoy all this, you know, success you've had and make something even better out of it. And and I think having that, pr- the pressure that I put on myself, I I became better, but it was not an en- enjoyable, enjoyable at all. thing.
0: I know what you mean. I think it's called like this uh, imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome. Yeah, like, yeah probably. <laughs> yeah. It happened to me when I won my first award here as well. And I got signed with a talent agency and I was like, because I was just about to leave. My two years in London, my two-year deadline was expiring. And exactly. finally, things started moving. And I'm like, what? I don't. Why now? Who? Part... <laughs> Stop... No. Stop being nice to me. This is what they used to do in communism. And then you turn your back and you get shot. Like, I don't want to. So I-, I know what you mean by that. And there's definitely a bit more of the, you know, you can't get lazy now. I can't get, I can't write any lazy jokes. Now I have to like perform, you know what I mean? And so there will be a level of professionalism which I have to maintain, which I ha- this is not what I signed up for in comedy. I signed up yeah. so I can be lazy and not work every day. <laughs> so now it's becoming a bit like you have to implement the job part of it. Yeah. Yeah. So I know what you mean by that. Yeah. It's hard. It's and hard being like, on top, you
1: know. Yeah, I mean I I think it it that I think that's when you also see because a lot of people can have one viral video or you can do one great song or become a one-time champion but to continue that legacy and and you know that takes work and that takes commitment and I mean it's and that takes showing up.
0: Yeah. But,
1: And not everybody wants to do that, unfortunately. And I think that's why the competition is actually smaller at the top, because most people don't want to do that that shit.
0: (laughs) That's true, that's true. That's a really good point. At the top, like, I mean, the comics in the UK, I would say that are really, really big would probably be around maybe 200, if I'm I'm being real. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So. What, What do you want to, like, what do you want to accomplish in your career as a stand-up comedian? What's the like? What's the end
0: goal? Well, um, obviously, every comedian wants to release a stand-up special. That's one of the things, definitely, and just like go on a national tour around the UK, even the ex-Yugoslav tour. I'd love to yeah. do a Balkan tour because I speak, you know, I speak Serbian as well. I speak Croatian and a bit of Slovenian. I'd love to like try stand-up. In those languages, and obviously, have you tried that yet? Or yeah, or I, I've done. I've done one gig in Serbian, so, and I've done like half a gig in Bulgarian. And I'm saying half because, <laughs> yeah, is I went to the. It was this gig for like Bulgarian Serbs and Macedonians in West London, and I had to like translate every joke in, in three different ways. Um, so I just went, it was three big tables. So I just went from table to table and just said the same joke, just using different cultural references and geographical locations. And yeah. I think it worked. It kind of worked. It was, you know, they only get comedy once a year. So for them it was like, ah, okay, yeah, yeah this guy, he's everything, you know. He's the waiter, the actor, the comedian, the all, <laughs> he does all the jobs. He's also our <laughs> dentist. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so I'd love to do that. And I think high up on my list now is also, uh, I'd love to write a sitcom. I'd really, I'd love to produce a sitcom, uh, especially about, you know, something about the Balkans. There's, there's not much knowledge. I mean, there is knowledge in the UK but there's just not awareness, like a cultural awareness of who we are as people and what we do, you know. Yeah. There's still the same stereotypes, like, oh, you must eat a lot of cabbage and potato. Like, no, that's yeah. like, it's it's a long, long way from there.
1: I mean, that's that's what I feel also. And I, I was curious to see like that cultural thing because, you know, obviously I'm born in Sweden, but I'm Macedonian. Everybody in Sweden, when they look at me, they don't look at me as Swedish, let's be honest, even though I competed for their national team for Sweden for 10 years. Uh, but I mean, one thing that I'm curious about, because now you're this comedian in England, you're talking about being an immigrant from the Balkans. How do you go from that to be, you know, to, to not only be the immigrant?
0: Well, obviously, you know, I thought about this long and hard before I, I started comedy in London. And it was that when you come on stage, as myself, you know, as a Macedonian in London, you know, the, the first three questions in the audience are, you know, who is this guy? Where is he from? And what is his real language? What does he speak? So you come with this cultural baggage, which is unavoidable. And it's there, so you just have to address it. So, you know, okay, I said, let me address it in the simplest terms. Who am I? My name is immigrant. You know, this is who I am. And you gotta, you know, the first five, 10 minutes, you can work through that, you, through that baggage. And then once they kind of warm up to you, then you can go into anything else that you wanted to do, you know? Uh, I think this is one of the sort of shortcomings, I suppose. You know, when I came to London, I I always dreamed, oh, I can just go out and be like Bill Burr or or Dave Chappelle, you know what I mean? But as a foreign comedian, you can never be that because you're not in front of your own audience. They don't recognize your accent or culturally where you're from. So you're always going to have to come from a different angle. And in the end, I I stopped fighting that. And I realized, oh, actually, this is something I can use to my advantage. Actually, nobody knows. You know, everyone confuses Balkan with the Baltics. Let me play with that a little bit. and I can tell these fuckers that we get married when I'm 12. And they'll believe me, you know, so... (laughs) just just play play with the audience and educate a little bit yeah i love that
1: and i think i think that's that's the right way to go because you have to take away the layers and i feel like you know we live in a society now where there's a lot of you know hate but there's also a lot of love and you can you can you know i've met people like in sweden there's so many people from yugoslavia balkans you know and some people it's an advantage for me it's an advantage i have different cultures and for some people, it's always a problem, you know. Uh, so I think letting go of the negative and see it as a positive angle, I think that's that's an amazing way of doing it. And I'm I'm curious when it comes to the stand up comedy scene. Is there any stand up comedy scene in Macedonia whatsoever?
0: Yeah. So apparently there is. A, there is. I haven't been home in a in a while, but there is. They do a lot of like private gigs there's no there's no official comedy club as far as i'm aware there's not like anything that's like a formal but and there's a lot of actors who kind of do comedy there but it's always like ends up being really political it's always about the political and it's like a sketch thing um they they do stand up for like festivals but it's always the actors doing it you know what i mean I know a few now because it's becoming popular. I know a few like stand-up comics, just stand-up. But um, I I really wish we could. Hopefully, maybe if I'm rich and famous one day, I can uh, come back home and build a build a comedy club. There we go. That would be a thing. That's awesome.
1: And and what do you want to say to people? You know, maybe from Macedonia or some other country in the world, they're like. They're from a small town, just just like you. They they seen something on YouTube that they really want to do, but there's no opportunity where they are. There's not a lot of you know support in that field, but they have something that burning desire in your heart, uh, in in their heart, just like you had. Uh, what do you want to say to those people?
0: Well, I, I I would say that you owe it to your talent to 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 do what's what's fulfilling what's good for you and, and to fulfill your calling in life. And it's important to try and not regret it. And if, you know, sometimes if you have borders as a physical obstacle, make do with what you can to, if, if you really need to get somewhere, go there because you can always come back. I felt like I'm never going to leave home. And then suddenly I just packed up one day and left and, I mean it's it's been an amazing journey so please if you think that you're able to to sacrifice a little bit of your comfort to pursue something bigger do it it's it's always good to to do what is right not what is easy so always do what is right
1: how did it feel that day when you were like with your bag and like hey I'm I'm leaving now
0: Oh, I was, I was. Uh, if listen, if I spent one second looking back, I would have stayed. The it, the moment I packed up, I was like, "This is it. I'm, I'm gonna have to leave all of my past behind and just blindly just step into the darkness." You know, it's like it's like being blindfolded and just walking. That's all it is, and it's like walking on clouds. Really, it's beautiful. It's inspiring and. It's going to change you in a good way in a better way unless you've borrowed a lot of money and then you don't know how to give them back to your cousin igor <laughs> then you fuck <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> and uh, what what would you do if you were still in macedonia you think as if if i didn't leave i mean what would you work with and what would you like what what would you pursue
0: as in if I didn't leave at all, or if I came back. Home. Yeah, if
1: you didn't, if you didn't leave at all,
0: um, I'd probably be still stuck somewhere in my town, um, slightly depressed. I'd probably get gets like some some job in the local theater or something like that. I can really envision that happening, but um, I feel like I I would have uh, kind of betrayed myself, you know, um, because everything fades away, you know what I mean? And especially if you don't build on it. relationships fade away because people don't build on on, on each other and they don't trust each other, they don't build on those feelings. So yeah. every feeling that you get or every desire that you have, the more you repeat it without doing it, the further you are from it away. So let's say, even for a simple thing, if you say, tomorrow I'm gonna do 100 push-ups, and then at three p.m., you say no, I'll do them at seven, and then you say all right, I'll do them the next day. And so you're literally falling away from your goal every single day for more and more. Yeah. And you know once you start drifting, that's when you get into issues. You're, you know you get into issues with your own mental health. Your confidence falls down, and you start retracting from making choices. So you literally start regressing as a person because you have less and less will. And finally you will get to a point where you don't even understand how you came to this place. You, you, you won't even f- remember that it all came from not following, following your instincts and following your own free will. So always like check back with yourself, have that dialogue and do it. If it offends somebody, doesn't matter you know you if you you're standing up for something if you have to sacrifice do it yeah i mean
1: i love that how how do you how do you deal with being away from family
0: it's it's really hard it wasn't hard in the beginning um because you know in the beginning you're like "Ah, i'm not gonna miss you you're just yeah it's just it's just family (laughs) yeah Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) yeah thank god i'm leaving um yeah, uh, but I, as I grow older, I, I'm starting to miss them more and more. And I think my, I think my priorities, I think my values are sort of realigning now. I've, I've I'm more attentive towards my family. My parents are getting a bit older, and so I, I'd really love to spend a bit more time with them. Um, I couldn't. I wanted to go there in March, and I couldn't. And it's, I mean, it's very like intense emotionally. So I try to try to talk to them at least. You have to nurture that side as well, you know. Yeah. Um, it, it's bal—it's like balancing plates, man. You've gotta, you've gotta. And if they really love you and they understand you, then you know they'll, even when they're not, you know, feeling health-wise okay, they'll still pretend they're okay, so you don't have to worry when you're abroad. And and yeah. generally, they've been nothing but, uh, but kind to me. Although. Every time I come back after two days, I'm like, ah, yeah, this is why this is why I'm abroad. <laughs> this is, dad, I yeah. don't know. I can't lend you money right now. Stop touching the <laughs> chicken. It's dead. And so, yeah, yeah it's, it's something you, you have to take into account, you know, the personal that's, life.
1: Yeah, everything has its price, right? And that's the hardest thing for me, you know, because you're talking about that burning desire and going after what you really want. And that's an amazing thing, but it also takes you away from, you know, family and those, you know, sitting and drinking coffee (laughs) with your, with your dad and things like that. But I think in a way, as long as you're smart enough to, to, to visit often and keep in touch and building those relationships, I, I think it's worth it. Right. Because if you if you kill your own fire, I don't think that's a good thing for happiness, right?
0: No, absolutely. Listen, there, there's also should be. It's good to be dedicated. Obviously, it's not good if, if you if you focus just on the fire all the time, because then you're not living a full life. So that's why you know family and friends is good to come in, um, but not chasing that. It's it's like like going against your own grain. So, and depends how strong it is for you. You know what I mean? Like some people, they say, you know, if you want to be, there was this line in, in a book, I can't remember where it came from, but it said uh, the best violinist in the world is only that, the best violinist in the world. And I love that quote, because it means that this man or woman that's, that's what they do six, seven, eight hours a day. They play the violin and they're the best violin in the world. And they can't be the best friend or the best dad or the best son or any of the other things. You know, they can't be fully present in any other sphere of their life. So you kind of have to take that and say, yeah, that's still what I want to do. I still want to be the best violinist. I'm gonna spend less time with everyone I know and I'm gonna feel a bit more uncomfortable or I'm, going to, I'm not gonna have my coffee next to my house and I'm not gonna maybe have a car or maybe this and that, but that is what I'm willing to do. And once you take that into account, it actually gets better. The, the important thing is not to stay between the two, not to be undecided. You have to decide and then accept the consequences.
1: Yeah, I mean, and, and that's also where, I, I mean, my theory is that sometimes the absolute number one is not the happiest. Uh, and sometimes it's better to be not the best, but be close to the best because you, you still have time to you know, be with friends and family and and things like that. But I guess that's a choice that everyone has to make, and where you want to be in your life, and whatever choice you make, there will be a price you'll have to pay, right? Yeah.
0: Well, the but the best thing to do is be like, uh, which is the the Balkan version. It's uh, it's like I want to be a substitute football player, so I can get paid <laughs> and not play. That's that's like <laughs> perfect. <laughs> Uh, just I love it. Go on a season loan and stay on the bench. <laughs> yeah,
1: I have. I have one final question to you, Vlad, and then I'll let you go. I've had a great time. I'm glad we connected. Peter. Hope to have a Arakiya and a Pivo with you yeah. in, the, and so, in with the some Ivar as well, <laughs> and some yeah. Ivar. Yeah. So, what's the last thing you want to say to people that ha- are still here? You know, giving us one hour, it's pretty badass. That people are here, and with with today's attention span, you know, one hour is like two years. <laughs> I feel like so. Thank you guys for still sticking with us and and listening to to Vlad's Story, which is uh, remarkable. I I think. Uh, what what's that final thing you want to say to the people that are here uh, listening? Uh, what can they do right now to to get a little bit closer to their dreams?
0: Um. The, well, I would say love yourself. Love yourself comes first. So, and practice that every day. You have to, and because the, that's the only way that you will, will be able to accept your your fears, your doubts, and your defeats. Um, because your love for yourself will, will prevail and will nurture your your failures. And once you do that, you'll become whole. And once you become whole, the only thing you need to do is convince other people, which is much easier once you have yourself. So work on that. And then once you have the emotional well-being in place, uh, be flexible in your practical assessment of your goals. So that's the second step. But And remember that at your core, you always have to, you have to be almost like lava. So you kind of have to expand and, and you have to kind of be cold and, and hard at times. And other people will, will help help you get there, uh, whether that's friends, families, or your sort of haters, you know, to your Twitter haters or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so pay attention to the signs, pay attention the, and keep, keep threading along, uh, but keep taking care of yourself all the way along and have perspective yeah
1: love that and do, do you love yourself and how do you how do you work to love love yourself like what do you do
0: yeah so like that's why uh, we mentioned rakia that's where rakia comes in yeah. the conversation <laughs> <laughs> get a few shots in the morning and everything's fine and you're good yeah. <laughs> put my uh, awesome. white yeah. beater tank top on <laughs>
1: I. I mean, it is a process, right? Loving yourself is a process, and we have to start by being kind to ourselves and and not taking ourselves so serious, right? Yeah. Uh, it's oh, absolutely. Sometimes I take yeah, I take my life so serious at times, and then I then I think about it like it's not that serious. Yeah. We're all we're all going to be dead soon, anyways. So just have some fun with it.
0: Yeah, exactly. If if you have that realistic perspective, you know that oh, okay, so. Just laugh. That's what I do. I laugh at life, and and, and li- life laughs back at me. And that's how we step. But like you, you mentioned it really well that you said it, it is a it is a process, um, loving yourself. And it doesn't. This is one thing that a lot of people come from. This love doesn't have to be a gentle thing. Like you can love the things fiercely, and you need to love things fiercely if you want them to work for you. You know, and this comes for any aspect in your life. You know, if you're in a relationship, you have to fight for your partner, even though there's nothing happening. You have to, like, you don't need to feel threatened to love somebody fiercely. So keep, keep proving to yourself and, and be kind, you know, using some simple cognitive behavioral techniques as well into how you talk to yourself, the thoughts that pass in your head, assess them. You know, if... If you're, if you're not very confident about certain things, ask yourself why. Just take that time of the day, meditate for about two hours and just figure out why you're being the way you're being. And then go and talk to your friend and get a different opinion on who you are. And then if you want, you have the power to imagine anything. You have the power to build a character trait that didn't exist in you before. And that is just only comes from love and persistence. So only you can do that, nobody else. Boom.
1: Mike Draf, Vlad Illich, thank you so much uh, for your time. If people want to connect with you, see more of you, where can they find you?
0: Thank you. So you guys can find me on uh, Instagram. That's at Vlad underscore Illich, I-L-I-C-H. Um, Twitter ad- And
1: are you still on Tinder or not anymore? No,
0: no, 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 I had to, I had to close the profile. I got to- I had to close the account, okay. I got to, okay. to, to <laughs> hunt and hey, um, okay. my grandma <laughs> messaged me so I couldn't really <laughs> <laughs> reply back. And Twitter, it's at Vlad Illich Comedy. So those are the two things. At Vlad Illich Comedy. That.
1: Awesome, thank you so much. And also I forgot to add, I, I heard that you want to be a penguin in your next life. I love penguins as well. I, yeah, they're the best. I think we'll save that conversation for next time. Yeah. Thank you, everybody, for listening and watching our show. Super grateful to have you here. Uh, we have more than 200 episodes. I think this is 218. I'm so blessed. I've talked to incredible people from all over the world, comedians, actors, UFC champions, entrepreneurs, singers. I don't I don't even know what who they are anymore, but they're just amazing people fighting for their dream, as should you, if you're still here, you know, use that fire and that burning desire to create something with your life. We want to hear from you. Uh, Please let me know what you thought about this show, share it with somebody that needs to hear this message and, you know, go out and kick ass and talk to you soon.